Our second lesson will serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. It's a reading from Revelation chapter 21, a glimpse of the prize, a a, a tour of heaven itself. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This morning, our gospel lesson will serve as the basis for our children's devotion. It comes from John chapter 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Thanks for coming up here. A few minutes ago, we heard a a gospel lesson where Jesus said something kind of crazy. He said to his disciples, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Basically, what he was saying is the thing that makes you very, very sad is going to all of a sudden make you very, very happy. What kind of things make you guys sad? Go ahead, you, you can answer. What kind of things make you sad? Um, Being alone in the house might make a person sad. You got one? Going to bed early. To bed early that can make people sad, right? <clears throat> can you imagine if the very same thing that made you sad, all of a sudden stopped making you sad and made you really, really happy. I was trying super hard to think of an example, and and this is the closest one I could get. 
So when you're little, and I mean really, really little, you probably had like a favorite toy or a favorite stuffed animal, right? If you lost that thing, that'd make you super sad, right? But when you found it, all of a sudden you'd be happy, right? And maybe you'd be more happy because you'd appreciate it more now than you did before because all of a sudden you knew what it was like to lose the thing. And you knew how sad it made you. And now that you had it again, you were happy and even more happy than you were before you lost it. That's kind of what Jesus is talking about. He says that the thing that makes us sad, his death on the cross is going to become the thing that makes us more happy than anything else in the whole world. And today we're going to learn that things in this life that make us really, really sad, that make life really, really hard, when we're in heaven, they're actually going to make heaven even better because all those things will be gone. And it's all because our Savior Jesus died on the cross to take all of our sins away. And it's because he rose from the dead to assure you and me that our death in this life is not the end. It's the beginning of heaven. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, there are many things in this world that make us sad. The longer you let us live in this world, the more sad things we experience. It's hard for us to believe that those sad things are going to make heaven even better. And yet today in your word, you promise us that's exactly the case. Just as your death and resurrection makes us sad but brings us incredible joy, we ask that you would help us to use all the things that make us sad in this life to help us look forward to heaven when there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. In your name we pray, dear Savior. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our risen Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> We've all suffered in this life. You've all experienced times so challenging that it's hard to imagine being happy, feeling joy. When you feel filthy, and I'm not talking about physically filthy, but when you just feel filthy, when you feel guilty for sins that you've committed, things that have run through your, your mind, things you've said, things you've done, it's hard to imagine joy flowing from that. When you feel all alone, when you are left to endure that guilt and that pain, and God feels very, very far away because of your sin, it's hard to imagine feeling joy. When you feel unsafe, when temptation and tempters are all around you all the time, attacking you from every side, it's hard to feel safe and it is hard to imagine joy coming from your lack of safety. And the older we get, we know this to be true. Death is always there. When, when we're young and wearing these white robes, it's pretty rare for us to be thinking much about death. But the older you get, the closer you get, and you realize it could happen any day. When you're thinking about death, it's hard to imagine joy. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, the conventional wisdom of the world is convinced. Joy follows circumstances. 
The, the birth of a child, a wedding, maybe even a day like this when family and friends gather together to celebrate, to enjoy time together. Joy follows circumstance, but we are convinced there are many circumstances that joy simply does not follow. But Jesus tells us something different. As we talked about in our children's devotion today, as Jesus discussed in the gospel lesson, grief will turn to joy, and the source of that grief will become the source of joy. Easter tells us that Easter is now the source of our joy. It is not circumstances, but Easter. Regardless of the circumstances, Easter is true. Jesus lives we have joy. Now the portion of God's word that we're looking at today is from the second to last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. It's a portion of God's word that's like a tour of our goal. It is a tour of heaven itself. And it's an incredible picture. Early in the chapter, we we hear those, those famous words, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will, no, will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. No more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. It's an incredible picture. And it goes on to have the Apostle John paint for us what he sees. And he sees this massive cube. It's this incredibly large, beautiful city. The text says it's 12,000 stadias long, 12,000 stadia deep, 12,000 stadia tall. Now put that into miles. It's just short of 1,400 miles in each direction. So from Green Bay, Wisconsin, about the middle of New Mexico. That's about 1,400 miles. So it's 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and then 1,400 miles tall. Now that's crazy. You know how high the International Space Station is above the surface of the Earth? 200 miles. 200 miles. One-seventh the height of this city. And the fact that it is a cube is a really big deal. In the Old Testament, when God was looking to teach his people about their relationship with him, he had them build a tent. It was called the tabernacle. It was their portable church, their portable temple. And eventually that tabernacle was replaced with a permanent structure, the temple. And there was a curtain. It divided this rectangular structure into two rooms, a rectangular one And a square one, but it wasn't just a square. It was also a perfect cube. And inside that perfect cube was the Ark of the Covenant. And you might remember that was this this box that had the Ten Commandments inside of it. And God said, my glory dwells in that cubicle room and the curtain is there for a reason. It's like a do not trespass sign. All trespassers will be shot on sight. For real. You went behind that curtain, 
You went into the presence of the glory of the Lord and a simple thing happened. God would look down and see the Ten Commandments in that box and he'd look at you and he'd see someone who was clearly guilty and the wages of sin is death. So you walked into that cubicle room, you'd die. Great picture, huh? But there was one day a year called the Great Day of Atonement when the high priest the man that God chose to be a mediator between him and his people could go into that room and not die. He had to become pure. All the filth of his sin had to be washed away, so he had to take a special bath and put on special clothes. White robes, like we're wearing. <laughs> a picture of our sin, believe it or not. Uh, I wear this white robe to remind you that I'm a sinner just like you. I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ just like you. He had to be clean and wear clean clothes. Then he could go in. And he'd go in all alone, so it would seem. But when he went in, he'd be in the presence of God's glory. He wouldn't be alone. He'd be with God. An incredible thing. And he would be perfectly safe, assuming he went through the steps correctly. Otherwise, he would, he would die. And so there you have those four pictures I referenced earlier. Filth of sin, all alone, safety and security, death. Right there in this cubicle room, he had to be pure, to be with God, to be safe, and not to die, to stay alone. These things were very important. He had to be clean to be in God's sight. But here, in this place, this city of Jerusalem, this new city, this heavenly home that we will one day enjoy thanks to Jesus, we heard there was no temple because the whole cubicle city is filled with the glory of God. His perfect presence fills the place. There's no sun and there's no moon. There's no day and night change off. It's just day all the time. And the gates stay open because there's no night to close the gates to protect the people from danger. There is no danger. In heaven, we have this incredible picture where everyone is pure in the perfect presence of God, never alone again, where you're perfectly safe and death has been destroyed, never again to touch one of the city's inhabitants. It's an incredibly beautiful picture. And yet this terrifying truth remains for those of us who are still in this life. We don't deserve any of it. And all that stuff I mentioned at the beginning is the proof. It is miserable to feel filthy. It is miserable to know your sin and to feel dirty and rotten. Because it reminds us that we ought to be all alone for all eternity. When God feels far away, it's kind of like a glimpse of what we really deserve. Only worse, to be separated from God's love and mercy for all eternity. You think you know what it's like not to feel safe in this life? You remember what it was like to be afraid of a thunderstorm or afraid of the dark? You remember what it's like to, to feel unsafe? Hell amplifies that to a degree we cannot even imagine. We fear death in this life because it's this thing we've never experienced. It's this, this great unknown, but God tells us exactly what will happen. It is not unknown. For the one who dies in sin, separated from God forever, it's horrifying, it's terrifying. 
Did you hear the, the last few verses of this text? Nothing impure will ever enter this city, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name written in there? It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what they're about to do today. No promise made by the faithful Christian could get your name written in the book of life. It's the grace of God and the grace of God alone that gets your name written in that book. It's what God has done for guilty sinners. It's what God has done for people like you and me who deserve to be all alone for the rest of our lives. It's what God has done to make us safe. It's what God has done to defeat death. It's the good news of Easter. The very source of the disciples' grief. The thing that the world would celebrate and did celebrate. Jesus' crucifixion. That's the reason. Can you imagine what it was like to be the disciples of Jesus? People are literally celebrating the suffering, the crucifixion, the torture of their friend and their savior, Jesus. There were people celebrating Jesus' death. Not only were they without their friend, their teacher, their Jesus, but others were celebrating it. But Jesus said, the thing that causes your grief will change. It will turn to joy. And they couldn't possibly know what he meant until Easter. You and I know what it's like to lose a loved one. When we lose the loved one, we feel alone. And Jesus' disciples felt alone too. But when they saw him again, that first Easter Sunday, not dead, but very much alive, with the marks of his suffering and death still there, the crucifixion marks on his hands and on his feet, the place where the spear had pierced his his side, the proof that he had died but now was alive, changed everything. Jesus' words, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age are true because we don't have a dead Savior, we have a living Savior. You guys think you know what it means to be a Christian. You're just starting to. And I'm thankful for that. I've had a lot of fun studying God's word with you seven over the last two years. And you've learned a lot. But you've got a lot more to learn. You think you know what it's like to battle sin now. Just you wait. As every other person in this room can attest, it gets much, much harder. Satan will come against you day after day. You will be surrounded by temptation and by tempters. Day after day after day. You will wrestle with the filth of your sin. You will feel like God could not be further away from you than he, than he, than he is. You will feel like he is gone forever. You will feel unsafe and you will fear death. That's when you remember Easter. Because Easter changes all of that. Jesus' death and resurrection has purified you from all the filth. You are clean. When your parents brought you to the baptismal font when you were little, you were given Jesus' perfect life to wear. You were washed clean. God promises it. It's true. You are pure. You are not alone. Your Jesus will be with you every moment of your life and forever into eternity. You are safe. 
The gates of heaven stay open. The door is unlocked. No more night, nothing to fear. No more temptation, no more tempters. And in heaven, you will never die again. Death in this life is the beginning of an eternity of peace and joy in the city of God. It doesn't mean you won't suffer here. You will. We all do. But Easter means joy is for us now and forever. And and you see, this is the thing, everybody. The contrast is the key. If we didn't know what it was like to feel filthy, the purity of heaven would not mean as much. If we didn't know what it was like to feel all alone, the perfect presence of the holy God, not leading to fear, but leading to nothing but joy, would not be as impactful for us. If we didn't know what it was like to feel unsafe, we wouldn't appreciate the perfect safety of heaven. And if we didn't know what it was like to experience the loss of death, to fear it out in front, we would have no idea What a blessing we enjoy when death is removed from the equation. You see, Easter means joy is no longer the result of circumstance. Easter means joy has an objective, absolute source. It's Jesus' death and resurrection. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And that means joy for you and me. Amen.